some of the individuals that were in the uh, in the bathroom, and we we were talking about uh, some of the experiences that I I had. It's amazing what you talk about in the restroom, isn't it? But we were talking about some of the shared experiences that we had had, and and I mentioned something about the military. One of the big things that has gone on in the military is a chaplain is can you pray in Jesus' name? And there's a lot of uh, places where you you don't pray in Jesus' name. It's the idea that we have to be, uh, uh, oh, uh, politically correct, and we have to... Uh, one thing, you though, when you're in the chapel and you preach and you share about Jesus Christ, you can pray in Jesus' name. There's no problem in the chapel. It's just in other events. But one of the gentlemen that I knew who was a chaplain before he would pray at public events, he would get up and he would say before he prayed, he said, before I offer this prayer, in my tradition, he said, I invite as I pray along that you would pray in your tradition as well. And I told Mary Ann that I often thought when he got up to pray, I felt like saying, amen, brother, pray, take us to the throne or something like that but I could have saw all those people turn and kind of look at me and think, what in the world are you doing, Chaplain Hendrickson? But we remember today. Today is, in, in some ways, a day of remembrance. Really, tomorrow is the day of remembrance, Memorial Day, as we gather, as we think, as we contemplate Memorial Day. I showed that I wanted them to show that picture of Chaplain Vineyard about his experience with the Lord. I remember talking to another Army chaplain who had been over there twice, deployed, and he was going to have to go again. He really didn't want to go again. It's always tough when you've been over, over the pond twice in combat experiences, but I, I asked this chaplain, I said, what was it like over there? He said it was the most incredible experience in my life that I'd ever experienced. He said we had a chapel set up on the... Uh, forward operating base, FOB, where I was located. He said there was a never a time at all that there wasn't someone in the chapel. He said when I would have a service, he said it would be standing room only. And while I was over there, 40 people accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. Tremendous opportunities. Even in peacetime, when we were over in Korea, I remember a service that... One thing we don't have is time constraints here. Although I am looking at the clock, and I realize it's back there to remind me that, please, chaplain, end by a certain time. And I will end by a certain time. But I remember at this one service, what you would do is, I, I was pastor of the gospel service. Gospel service in the military is Afro-American. And uh, 
and so I was pastor of this service, and one of the things we, w we would do is we had time constraints. I could only, the service had to end in an hour and 45 minutes. You couldn't go over because there was somebody following us uh, on the next, we had services two hours. Every two hours, there was a Catholic service, then there was a Protestant service, then there was the gospel service, then there was another service following us, and so I had to really watch my time. And one morning, the, the music director got up, and he really led the, the, the service, and, and, and we were really going, and sometimes the, the music would last a little longer than normal, and then we, I was supposed to have a children's sermon, and we had that, and there was a whole bunch of things going on, and I was looking at my time, and I thought, man, we've got to have the Lord's Supper, and I'm, I'm going to run out of time, and then, then if I go over, they're going to jump on me tomorrow, and the, the chaplain who was over there would really, he would jump on me, call me up the next morning, and so, so I, uh, I ended up stopping right there and said, I realize that some of you are here today to do business with the Lord. And so we're going to have the invitation right now. And I had the ministers come forward and they stood down at the front. We had the invitation right then. And a person came forward and they turned to me and, and a person came forward and they turned to me and a person came forward. And that morning there were three people that accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. And I remember the ministers, they went out and they huddled in a little group and they said, uh, this is the craziest service I think I've ever seen in my life. And, I, uh, and what they were upset was they said, he didn't preach. He didn't preach, you know. And, and, and people were saved. And it's not right that, because it's not supposed to happen that way. And I thought this morning, maybe I ought to just not because we had a great music service, maybe we ought to have the invitation now. And maybe God's dealing with someone out there and He's touched your life. And Jamie's been preaching and you've heard Jamie preach every week and you've never made that decision that you need to make or you're, you're visiting here and, and you need to join this church. Out of, I, I can't tell you how to, what to do. I remember when Marianne and I came here we ended up joining the first Sunday we visited First Baptist Church. We had a little plan. We were going to go to this church, and then we were going to go to this church, and then we were going to go to this church. And there was just something about this church. The first time we showed up, we decided we need to stick around. And we decided that the first Sunday. And so maybe you're here, and this is your first Sunday with us. And I would tell you, it's okay to join your first Sunday with us. You don't have to wait. But yet in many ways, as I mentioned, this past week has been one of remembrance. At the beginning of the week, we were preparing to remember the second anniversary of the deadly tornado that struck Joplin. And I realize that tornado has affected many lives in this congregation. And that tornado is still impacting your lives. It's almost like you were in a combat zone. For soldiers, sailors, airmen, marines, 
Coast Guard, those that have been deployed, that have gone through the horrors of war, that have gone through some terrible experiences, a lot of times they suffer what we call PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. There may be some of you that are here that that tornado is still very vivid in your mind. You need to talk about it. You need to get some things out. Let me tell you, your pastor is ready to listen. I'm ready to listen. There are others in this congregation that are willing to listen. And just as we were getting ready to celebrate that anniversary on Monday, another tornado struck, more Oklahoma, and then those memories started to flood back, memories that you had of what happened here in Joplin, and you saw it happening all over again in another place. As you were remembering the tornado on Wednesday, I attended a funeral in, in Carthage, Missouri for Harvey Coiner. Harvey Coiner had been my royal ambassador leader at First Baptist Church Carthage where he had touched the lives of many individuals. I could say of Harvey, he was a very consistent person in his relationship to the Lord. As we were talking about Harvey and about those experiences we had had with him, one of the persons there talked about, he said he remembered one time Harvey, there was one of the young women in our church showed up for church or some activity at church and and she, God forbid she showed up that morning in shorts and said uh, Harvey saw her, met her at the door and said, uh, you need to go home <laughs> and, and come with me. And so he got her and he took her home and she came back and she had a pantsuit on, you know. So, uh, and so that was one of the memories and yet we remembered Harvey and what a wonderful Christian, what a what a wonderful individual who knew the Lord as his personal Savior and he was concerned about that all the, the young boys in, our, in Royal Ambassadors would come to that point of knowing Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. And then on Thursday we went to Grove, Oklahoma to visit a friend whose husband died last month. When we got back, Yvonne had sent us an email and she said thank you for being with me today because today was an anniversary and she had forgotten all about it and then she received a call from her son-in-law Thursday was the anniversary of her daughter's death She said, thank you for being there, because if you hadn't have been there, I'd have probably cried all day as I looked back. And then on Friday, you gathered to remember the life of Phyllis Pym, an active member of this congregation.
Today our thoughts are of Memorial Day. We are reminded of those who have served and of those who have given their lives for the freedoms that we enjoy. Memorial Day was originally called Decoration Day. Memorial Day was officially proclaimed on May 5, 1868 by General John Logan, natural, natural commander of the Grand Army of the Republic. In his General Order Number 11 was the first observed on May 30, 1868 when flowers were placed on the graves of Union and Confederate soldiers at Arlington National Cemetery. The first state to officially recognize the holiday was New York in 1873, and by 1890 it was recognized by all of the northern states. The South refused to acknowledge the day, honoring their dead on separate days until after World War I, when the holiday was changed from honoring those who had died fighting in the Civil War to honoring Americans who died fighting in any war. And it is now celebrated in almost every state on the last Monday in May, by a law passed by Congress with the National Holiday Act of 1971. It's interesting to note that during the Civil War, when, they, when the North ended up moving across the, uh, the river and they, they captured that area known as Arlington, which had been the, uh, been the home of Robert E. Lee, a sort of a, a, a spat or kind of, a, a kind of to just uh, uh, to, to upset him, they started burying the, the, the war dead at Arlington there, that great community. And, so, and they also started uh, burying Confederate dead there as well. If you ever go to Arlington, you'll notice that there's a section of Arlington where there, there is a... Uh, Confederate dead are buried. And on this section, that you, you can notice that because the headstones have a point on them. And where other headstones that are there, the normal ones for, uh, that we see today, have kind of a rounded top to them. They, they, they said that the uh, Confederate soldiers said the reason they put a point on their their headstones was they didn't want any Yankees sitting on them. And so that was the, uh, but yet they were there and, and it was a time of remembrance. As a part of my service as a chaplain, I was able to sar serve at Arlington National Cemetery. I was able to walk that ground to be able to, to honor many Americans who had served. At Arlington National Cemetery, there is a special ceremony called Flags In, celebrated on Memorial Day, where the 3rd U.S. Infantry, or Old Guard, places flags in front of more than 260,000 headstones and 7,300 niches at the cemetery's columbarium. And this is all done by the soldiers of the Old Guard in three hours where they place those flags. And what they'll do is they'll, they'll have one soldier that will take a row of, row, row of uh, headstones and he will go along and he'll have a bundle of flags with him and he will take his foot 
front of the, the, uh, the headstone, and then he'll stick a flag in the ground. And, they'll have, and the reason they'll have one soldier do a row at a time is if they had different soldiers do the same row, uh, their feet aren't the same length. And so the flags wouldn't be in a straight row, but having one person do it, they all are in a straight row. And, and they do this, and, they, and then they stand guard over the cemetery and make sure that those flags are not disturbed. We talk about remembrance on this day. But what is the significance of this remembrance? When Jamie called and asked me to see, speak, I thought I'd look at Titus 3, 1, 11. If you noticed, that was what you studied in Sunday school this morning. Titus 3, 1, 11. It's kind of a dangerous thing to end up discussing the th same thing that you discussed in, in Sunday school. And yet I, I thought it's one of those things that we want to be reminded of again and again. We need to remember how we should live. Remember what we were like. Remember what God did for us. And remember what God expects of us. Remember how we should live is in Titus 3, 1 through 2. In 1976, Francis Schaeffer wrote a book entitled, How Should We Then Live? And, and as a part of writing that book, there was also a, a descriptive video that came out with us, with that book. And I remember having, showing that uh, picture or that video on some campuses and then us college campuses and then gathering the students as we discussed what was Francis Schaeffer focusing on. Well, what he was really looking at was uh, sort of the decline in the history of the world and how things had, had gone down. He looked at Rome, he looked at various civilizations, and he he looked at the United States. He looked at other and he said, are, are we on a, a decline? And if we're on a decline, then because of that decline, how should we then live? How should we focus our lives? What we, and he said the answer is to be found in Jesus Christ. There was also a part of that that I thought was interesting. He said that as we move through this context, uh, we, we'll... And, and he showed some, and something that came out in the video was it showed a scene where there was like a demonstration and it showed how the media could look at that demonstration. And on one side, it, it showed the idea that, well, they, this demonstration was great. You know, here were the freedom, freedom fighters fighting for freedom. And then on the other hand, it showed... Uh, how the news media looked at it said, well, they're a bunch of radicals trying to change things when the way things are is great. And, and, and it, it, it sort of pointed to that idea that maybe someday in our society, government may try to control the news media. And I thought, well, that's kind of ridiculous, you know. Uh, that, that will never happen in the United States where that could happen. And, and yet, as, as I looked at it, I thought, wow. That's sort of like maybe, maybe, maybe it is occurring. Maybe, maybe that is occurring around us. But, 
yet he pointed to the idea that regardless of what happens in our world, there needs to be that commitment, that relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul addresses that question of how should we then live in, in, in the scripture. He said, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle toward everyone. As Paul was talking, he was focusing on the church of on Crete. And, and they, uh, we apparently, they had heard this admonition before. And Paul uh, told Titus, he said, remind them again. Remind them to be good citizens, that they must be submissive to rulers and authorities. When we think of submission in scriptures, we realize that that's not new. In James 4, 7, it says, submit yourselves then to God. And then it goes on, it said, then resist the devil and he'll flee from you. In Ephesians 3.18, and, and, and I always kind of trip over this really quickly, it says, wives submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. In Hebrews 13.17, it says, obey your leaders and submit to their authority. And, and in, in leaders, it's talking about the leaders in the life of the church. They watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. And then Titus 2.9 says, Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything. Today we translate that in, in, terms, of, in terms of being employed and those individuals that we work for. In Ephesians 6.1, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And then in Ephesians 5.21, it, it kind of brings it all together. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We think about submitting to one another. How do we submit to one another? I always think it, it, where it says to us in Scripture, it says, we need to confess our, our sins to one another as our leaders in government say we need to be transparent to the public. As Christians, we need to be transparent to one another. I need to be very honest with you. And as a Christian, I need to share those areas where I'm struggling. I need to come to you and say, pray for me, brother. I need your help. We see this idea of submission, and submission at times is hard, and we realize that this was before emperor worship started, when later on Christians would be forced to choose, and they would have to decide, do I follow? We would say that they would have to go in and burn incense to the emperor. And they would have to say things like, Caesar is Lord. And Christians couldn't say that. They said, we cannot say Caesar is Lord. We have to say Christ is Lord. And many had went to their death because of their choice. Peter in 
Acts 5.29 says we must obey God rather than men when confronted by the leadership. We have grown so accustomed to freedom in the United States, I often ask myself, could I stand if faced with the choice of either living or dying for Jesus Christ? I like a pastor of a church in the South who, who said uh, about this concept of being politically correct from the pulpit. He said, I, I've got to preach the word of God. He said, I can't, I can't preach what's politically correct. And he said, if they come after me, he said, all I can say is, come on, come on. Come after me. Be submissive. Be ready to do what is good. Slander no one. Watch our speech. Be peaceable. Work toward harmony. Always be gentle toward everyone. The reason we live our lives in this way is because we have a new life in Christ and and, and so that the fruit of the Spirit might be shown forth in our daily lives. And then, then it says in, in Scripture, it's, it, too, it says, remember what you were like. Paul says, this is what you should do. And then he says, he turns back, he says, remember what we were like. And I, I like it where Paul says, at, once time, at one time we too were foolish disobedient, deceived, enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Paul includes himself in this. He said, I once was that way. Can you remember what it was like before you accepted Christ? For many of us, that's a, that's a long time back. We, we look back maybe 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. You've had a long-term relationship with Jesus Christ. But Paul includes himself. He said, there, there was a time when we failed to live up to God's law, re realizing that we could never really live up to God's law. And that's, what, that, that's the good news for the Christian. We were foolish, disobedient, contemptuous of God's will, uh, impatient with authority, deceived, led astray, duped by any number of false guides, and slaves to various passions and desires. We are individuals focused on material things, living antisocial lives lives and hating one another. I remember going one time to a college campus. We were in Illinois. We were uh, visiting in the community and uh, one of the pastors said, Let, let's go down to, to the university and listen. Mike Warnicky was there. He was uh, a, a uh, one who had 
followed Satan, and then he turned and he started to accept Jesus Christ. He accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior, and there was different people up. He was speaking, sharing his testimony, and, and, and I remember one person in the group got really upset with him. I guess they were a Satanist or one that really believed in, in following Satan, and so they said, I, I think it's all kind of one-sided. He said, you're, you're just talking about what God's doing. He said, I want to stand and speak up for Satan. And then, then uh, I remember this one gal in the group that she said, well, I'd like to stand up too. And she said, I'd like to tell you for several years of my life, he, I let Satan rule. And he had his way with me. And then she said, but he blew it. He didn't do a good job. And then I accepted Jesus Christ. And I trusted him. And let him have his way in my life. He said, look at what you were like and look at what you should be doing. And then he said, remember what God did for us. Titus 3, 4, 7, But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the worshiping of the rebirth and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that had been justified by His grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Some people believe that Paul, in writing this passage to Titus, was writing a hymn. He was de describing what it was like to... He was describing the Christian experience. He was, he was describing all of those parts that fit in to what it is to trust Jesus Christ. He, he was describing a hymn that they could actually repeat over and over and over again, reminding them about what their salvation was all about. To, to focus in on, on what, what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. In looking at this, we see that he describes salvation as based on a de definite historical event it said, when the kindness of love and love of God, our, our Savior, appeared, God's, and it, it describes the kindness of God, and the kindness of God prompts him to forgive and to bless, and his love shows his affection for his creation, for men and women, and out of that, he, he sent his Son, Jesus Christ. It was an incarnational event. It was Christ became a man, and, and he, uh, God became a man and dwelt among us. I remember being, being at a place where Mary, in a community, and Marianne worked in, uh, downtown with an individual, and this individual was of the Hindu faith, and he grew up in India. And I remember we went to eat together one time, and, and as we were talking with one another, he said, Alan, he said, what do you believe? He said, I'd like you to tell me what you believe. And, and I thought, what an, what an opening. Don't you love those openings when people said, tell me what you believe? And, and he was 
of the Hindu faith, and I, I, I started to share with him about Jesus Christ and about how Jesus Christ had impacted my life. And, and I, and I, I uh, de- described to him the incarnation that God became man and, and dwelt among us. And, and as I was telling him that, he, he listened to me and he said, he said, you know, in India, he said, we consider Gandhi a great man. But he said, we, we would never give Gandhi God's status. And he said, that's the weakness of Christianity that you're sharing with me. He said, you, you've given God's status to an individual. And I said, you don't understand. That's not the weakness of Christianity. That's the strength of Christianity. That God became man and he dwelt among us. He saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. And, 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 and it, it, we're saved by God's grace, not by works. And God's great salvation was given to us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Washing describes our, our cleansing from the effects of sin through regeneration. We who were dead were made alive. Washing was a divine internal act that is symbolically pictured in Christian baptism. When you come forward and say, I, I've had a, an experience with Jesus Christ, I've invited Him into my life and I trusted Him, and then you come and you say, I want to be baptized, what that baptism does is symbolizes your death to the old way of life and that you're raised to walk in a new life in Jesus Christ. That washing re- results in an instantaneous change that ends the old life and begins the new. But yet it talks about the activity of God's Spirit within our lives. Just think of the way that God's Spirit deals with our lives. We could think of all those ways He creating, revealing, convicting, redeeming, indwelling, transforming, filling, overcoming, Gifting, sending, glorifying as we grow in our relationship to Jesus Christ. When we received Jesus Christ as Savior, we were justified. We were declared righteous in God's sight. Our present experience uh, gives us hope for the future. As I was looking at this, I reviewed our statement of faith as Southern Baptists, if you turn to that, it talks about salvation. It says salvation involves the redemption of the whole man. It's freely offered to all who accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, who by His blood obtained eternal redemption for the believer. In its broadest sense, salvation includes regeneration, justification, sanctification, and glorification. That says there's no salvation apart from personal faith in Jesus Christ as Lord. And, and then I looked at that hymn that was there in Titus, and I realized that it, it talks about regeneration. It talks about justification. It talks about that sanctification. And, and so we do see that picture 
of what it is to trust, to accept, to become a Christian through Jesus Christ. And then he turns to, after describing that, he says, remember what God expects of us. And then Titus 3, 8 through 11 said, this is a trustworthy saying. And I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. But avoid foolish conversations and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful and they are self-condemned. As I look at this passage and as it ends out, I, I, and as you look at Titus, if you look in Titus six times, Paul emphasized the importance of doing good works. And yet, if you believe he was talking about a work salvation, you can see immediately that that struck down in Titus 3.5 where Paul says he saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. But because of that, we want to be doing good things. And what are good things? Sometimes we get tied up in the church as being the vehicle for doing good things, and yet we realize that, uh, th that we can do a lot of good things out in our community. There's ways that we can touch our community apart, for the, apart from the church. But yet I think overall, basically what this passage says to me if I am busy for God, I don't have time for a bunch of useless arguments. Have you ever thought of that? If you're busy for God, if you focus totally on Him, if you're, you're doing the things He wants you to do, you're not going to argue about points of doctrine. You're not going to argue about... Uh, you, you won't be roaming around trying to stir up dissension among the brethren because you're busy for God and you're going to let Him have first place in your life. Titus, in looking at Titus, we've seen a lot of things, but the question I would have is, what did you come here for today? What did you come here to this church for today. We, we come here to sing. We come here to praise God's name. We come here to listen to the word. But maybe you come here and you were hurting. Maybe the remembrance of this tornado that impacted Joplin is just overwhelming you today. Maybe you've never down deep in your heart trusted Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Maybe you're a Christian and there's some besetting sins in your life and you're not prayed up. 
you need to confess them to the Lord. As Jamie comes and leads us in a song, let's be responsive to the Lord. Let's be responsive to His Holy Spirit this morning. Let's do what God wants us to do here today. To accept Christ for the first time. To rededicate your life to Him. You've accepted Christ, but you've never been baptized. Maybe you need to join this church. Let God have His way.